From hrgrapevine.com, it is the HR Grapevine Podcast. I'm Eric Niewerowski. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. May 9th through the 16th is Mental Health Awareness Week. And while I feel it's important to talk about mental health all of the time, I wanted to dedicate this episode specifically around mental health and target it towards men's mental health in particular. Um, It's a personal topic for me because one in seven men in the UK have some sort of mental health condition and I am one of them. I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and manic depression. I believe it's also called bipolar um, about a year ago after 35 years of thinking I can fix it myself. And it really was one of the best decisions I've ever made to know that I can't do it on my own anymore. So I'm lucky, but I'm not as lucky as many men. As I said, one in seven men have some sort of mental health condition and often we don't talk about it. To help me break down these topics today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Gemma Lee Roberts. She is a chartered psychologist specializing in workplace mental health and author of the book Mindset Matters. So I just want to get right into it today. Gemma, how are you? Thanks for joining us. And why don't you just kind of give a quick uh, synopsis of your career and what brought you to where you are now? So I'm very, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's such an important topic and it's also a topic that's really close to my heart as well. So I'm glad to be able to shine a bit of a light on mental health, particularly, as you said, for the male population, which I know we'll dive into as well. Um, So a bit of background. I'm a chartered um, psychologist and I specialise in thriving at work, really. So what that actually means. So my research has taken me down the path of resilience and failure and what it means to come up against challenges and why some people can work through those with ease um, at certain times and not others and also why sometimes some challenges kind of break us and some make us that's that's been my research world really I've actually worked in HR for a long long time so I started out my career post-university or so post-grad working in HR that was my um, initiation into the working world okay um and moved into learning and development not long after that did a master's in occupational psychology um and then kind of moved over into more kind of consulting training delivery that kind of thing and it kind of just grew and grew and actually I'm finishing up a doctorate program um at the moment so again my topic is resilience um and I've also written a book as well about mindset at work which basically comes from a newsletter on LinkedIn, which went a bit viral and it it, it turned into a book. But what we know from that is that people are interested in the topic of mindset and what it takes to deal with challenges, but in a healthy way as well. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that's what we'll delve into a little bit today. Yeah, I just, you know, quickly comment, you must have had like the busiest two years of your whole career (laughs) talking about resilience in the workplace. Yeah, my working life has gone a little bit, um, (laughs) a little bit busy, I'd say, the last couple of years. And that's been challenging in lots of ways. I've got a a young family as well, Mm -hmm. you know, juggling my work and and it has been, you know, it's been such an important topic over the last two years, which I'm very grateful for. I get to share my research and I get to share my expertise and experience. But equally, you know, there's been, in some respects, a lot of trauma for a lot of us over the last yeah. few years as well. So, you know, never in a million years would I wish that upon right. um, a global nation. 
Right. Uh, so it's been interesting. Yeah. So let's just get right into it. Um, so there's been more attention paid to men's mental health in the UK. You know, we had the Royals talking about it. Uh, other, you see it more on the news, more famous people, more famous men saying that they have mental health issues, but there's still a stigma behind it. Now, I'm a very vocal person. I am ad I'm always been an advocate, but even more so now. So for me, I luckily never encountered that stigma of mental health in the workplace. But why is there still a stigma for men and mental well-being, especially within work? I think there's actually a stigma for everyone to some extent right. still. I think we still need to break down those barriers, but I think it is more complicated for men. And I think that's historical because if we think about the workplace, you know, 10 years ago, even um, men don't necessarily have that same support system where they're talking about what their challenges are and um, things that are really difficult, you know, home life, work life, juggle, all that kind of stuff. And I think naturally over the years, if you, if you can go back to how, you know, when we were cave people, for example, we had very specific roles. So women were more of a support system, whereas men kind of went out and did their thing and hunted and all of that jazz and, and brought things back. And I'm not saying that we're stuck there, but I am saying culturally, the men in the workplace, we've, firstly, a lot of leaders used to be men in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're seeing a shift in that. I'm not sure how quickly that's shifting, but we're seeing a shift. Right, not, um, not quick enough, but it is happening. It's right. happening, yeah. Um, so, you know, we were looking to these people who, who are essentially our role models to, and, they, and, and in the old days, you know, if we look back a decade or two decades, they were the people leading. They had to be certain. They had to be um, decisive. They couldn't show any vulnerability. That's, that's our role models for men in the workplace, if, mm -hmm. if we look back. And, and obviously, we're slowly changing that. But it's very hard to start asking people to be vulnerable or asking people to um, think more about their emotional intelligence or resilience within their teams, which are all hot topics at work. So I think a lot of it is kind of historical and cultural as well. And I do feel like we, we are breaking down some of those barriers. And I am, I mean, I'm not, yeah, it scares me, the statistics in the UK around male mental health, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I know it's got worse working through a pandemic as well. But I am really encouraged to see that it's becoming a focus in the workplace. Like, how can we help men in the workplace feel more comfortable to either talk about mental health um, or to seek support or help or guidance if they need to um, in a way that there is no stigma attached? And obviously, we've got work to do on that front. But um, we're changing the culture. You know, it's not even just an organization culture. It's not like one workplace. We are changing work culture globally here and right. how we look at it. So I want to talk about the pandemic and mental health, right? Um, now, I knew I was broken way before the pandemic happened. And I kind of say broken in, in joking, but it's that's what I was. I was broken. It took me having an awful panic attack in front of my daughter to me passing out uh, to say, okay, I cannot do this on my own anymore. And even though I knew that I, I've had these issues my whole life, I feel that the pandemic certainly drew a little bit more out of that. And then in talking with some male friends, finding out that they're going through the same thing. So what was it about the pandemic that impacted men's mental health in relationship to work? I think there were two big factors that were at play. Um, 
And I think these are extreme uncertainty mm-hmm. that we have probably never, we definitely certainly never globally encountered in that way before. Um, we were all in this terrible, terrible storm in our own boats. So we're dealing with our own issues. We're out mm-hmm. at sea in this storm. Um, but there was extreme uncertainty. And from a resilience perspective, we can often cope with a big challenge if that's mm-hmm. all we're dealing with, or we can cope with lots of little challenges generally if that's all we're dealing with. But we, we had tons of big challenges at the same time. We didn't know how this was going to play out. There was a huge amount of fear because, you know, if you, if you think back right to the start of it, we didn't know, we didn't know if we were safe. We didn't right. know if our friends and family were safe. We, you know, it's we didn't know if our jobs were safe. Yep. We didn't know there was so much fear. So I think that is um obviously that's hugely concerning but also I think the second thing is the restricted connection or isolation or loneliness I think people took different parts of that either individually or at different stages throughout the pandemic and we didn't necessarily have those moments where we could just bump into someone and say you know how's it all going or you know are you okay at the moment Mm -hmm. you know we couldn't necessarily have those conversations because we had to formally check in we had to and I think we learned how to do that a bit better throughout the pandemic but even if you could check in the the thing is sometimes when things are really hard you can't there's two kind of modes we go into either extreme support mode where we talk to people around us who can offer guidance or support um or we go into kind of extreme isolation mode where it's too painful or it's too challenging to face and the thing is with the pandemic it was it was much easier to go into that isolation mode right things were really hard because you didn't have to meet someone face to face you didn't have to have sometimes a conversation that might be helpful but could also be a bit painful so Mm -hmm. we could avoid that and I think I think that's kind of one of the biggest challenges that we faced. Um, and again, you know, if we talk about this kind of, I'm not a huge fan of talking about stereotypes, but, you know, women do tend to chat yeah. to people a bit more openly about this stuff and have a bit more, I'm talking to, you know, it's not the same for everyone. Right, um, right. And I think for the first time ever, we we were on a global scale asking men to open up about how challenging something was or what's going on for them. And we didn't necessarily have the language for that or the, skills or abilities to be able to do that or or the means to feel vulnerable in that way so I think it was it was kind of a perfect storm really I mean what were your experiences because you're the one that lived through this uh well you know so for you know the pandemic brought a lot of bad things into the world but statistically on paper I had a pretty good year like I was made redundant from my first job. And that was fine because that was a toxic, awful experience and I was looking for a way out. I soon after got this role at hrgravevine.com, which I'm absolutely enamored with. I'm learning a lot. I have a great group of colleagues. Uh, I bought a house. My partner and I bought a house, We moved along. But so on paper, it was a pretty good year, but it still didn't prevent me from being totally happy. You know, and I would always have panic attacks And I think for me, a lot of it was to do within my own upbringing. Growing up in America to two Polish immigrants where to them, the American dream was success and that was money, right? So I remember very vividly having my, one of my first panic attacks, I was in, in junior high and it was in the car coming back from a ski trip and I just lost composure 
And I remember my dad turning around or my mom maybe saying, what, did you not enjoy that ski trip we just brought you on? Right. And so I think so much of my mental health issues were being just kind of swept under as you're being a spoiled kid. You're just being a teenager. Right. So for me, I got really, really lucky knowing that 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 moment was the lowest I could possibly go and that I no longer could try and fix this on my own. And luckily I'm at a company with colleagues who can empathize with that because some of them are going through it themselves. And I think I, I personally also got really motivated by the younger generation of colleagues and people with the fact that they are able to kind of say things are not right and seek the help. So that, that was it for me, but listen, it's, it's a constant journey, right? It's, I'm not healed. I take an antidepressant a day. I have something else. If I know a panic attack, you, you know, like when you just know you're going to have one of those days mm-hmm. and that helps, but I'm never healed. And that's what I tell people. It's just knowing what those triggers are that set me off. Right. And how to identify those. So I guess maybe then my next question for you is HR can support people when they're going through their initial uh, stages of identifying their mental health struggles, right? Maybe even help them get diagnosed. But how can they do, what, what, what can HR do to continually support? Because some days you have those mental health wobbles where you just don't want to get out of bed, or you have a panic attack so bad that you just have to stop down. How can HR support those experiences for their colleagues that have mental health issues? Well, some of it is like policies, for example. So is there a policy? You know, what does someone do if they're in a situation where they're like, actually, I need to take time off for this? Is is there a policy available that people feel like, actually, that's acceptable? Mm -hmm. Um, There's also the support side of it, like you said. So making sure that support is provided in one way or another, whether that be like an employee assistance program or counselling available or... um, Sometimes some organizations have access to GPs, for example, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Of course, that's going to be helpful. But I think also some of it's about, and it's not entirely um, HR-led, but a lot of it is about culture as well. So creating, and this isn't just just the job of HR. There's HR to influence some of this or find ways to help to embed this. Mm -hmm. But it is about making people feel that they can talk about these things, that it's the norm. Like we said, it's a journey. I don't think, you know, I, I'm not entirely convinced from a psychologist's perspective. I'm not entirely convinced anyone's healed. I'm not convinced, you know, I have high days, lower days, even right. as a resilience expert, I have to work on my resilience most days. Yeah. Um, so I think embedding that and are our leaders capable of first of all, role modeling, what looking after your mental health looks like sometimes like, does mean being a little bit vulnerable but even if it doesn't you can still talk about some of these things are Mm -hmm. leaders trained to be able to do this do they know what resilience is do they know what um mental health consists of that's quite scary in some organizations to deal with that and also you know we're not hr teams and um and leaders within organizations and executives and that we're not necessarily trained psychologists and you don't want to be either but it's about and sometimes that's scary you're like how do I have that conversation you know what if I open up a can of worms how do Mm -hmm. I so helping people to be able to deal with that is really important so I think some of it is having those policies and procedures in place yeah that support this but it's also 
thinking of ways and being clever about ways of embedding this into the culture. And I, I'm going to be really honest, that takes time. It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. And like I said, it's not just the job of HR. HR might be championing this, leading this, highlighting it. They might be the trailblazers, but it doesn't. It's, it's not necessarily their job alone, which is sometimes quite a hard place to be. And I know that I worked in the HR. Right. I actually yeah. know that. Yeah, I actually, I, I wrote it down, not just the job of HR. I think that's a really important point to make. So you mentioned a little bit there, aside from the policies that HR can do, it's also about building up the culture. And it is important to acknowledge that it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. How can HR start, not take it over themselves, but how can HR start sort of injecting that sense of openness and vulnerability within the workplace culture? But first of all, most it's looking at things like benefits, for example, and access to resources for people, for sure. And I know there's budget budgetary constraints around that as well, because mm-hmm. obviously if we're doing something, something else might have to go or is right. the budget there? I totally get that. Even if it's possible to identify what that would look like in an ideal world to work towards at some point. So I definitely think that's a key place to start for HR. But I also think it's about starting some of these conversations as well. And if it's not coming from the executive team, um, then maybe this is something that HR teams can pick up and Mm -hmm. run with. Like, how do we start having these conversations? Now, it isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to be forced where, you know, you have to join a specific group to access this information or hear these stories, but is there a way to start weaving some of this into, I don't know, town halls or um, training events or um, away days, or, you know, if we get back to that world, I don't know. But how do we start weaving some of these messages in where people are being honest? And it might even be, you know, working with leaders in an organization or even people who are influential. They don't have to be leaders necessarily. And asking them, would they, you know, would they share their stories or are they happy to talk about, you know, a bit like your story you were sharing earlier. Are you happy to talk a bit about your experience? And because you also got to remember a lot of how we learn about what's going on around us and what the culture is, because the culture in an organization is basically how are things done around here? It's not mm-hmm. what's written on a piece of paper or the values or the mission. Right. It's the day-to-day, how does the stuff work around here? How do people interact? What's rewarded? What's not rewarded? Um, so asking people to maybe start having some of these conversations, which could be a huge shift, asking people to kind of open up and be vulnerable and getting some champions in place to help with that, um, I think is really important. But again, it has got to be genuine as well, because yeah. As we know, I'm sure you've worked either in or with organisations where things feel forced or, you know, it's the hot topic of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly worked, you know, back in the day, lots of organisations where the hot topic of the day was female leadership or um, we had they had to get a certain amount of females into leadership roles right. for whatever reason. And at times it felt quite forced. It felt like little bit contrived some of the stories mm-hmm. we're hearing so it's, it's important it's got to be genuine and it's got to be um so basically look for real champions look for people who actually do want to share their stories and lead some of this yeah um because that's how you know it's a lot of how we learn is stories listening to other people yeah so you had mentioned you had said earlier that you know you kind of compared everything and for those of you listening at home, I'm waving my hands in the air, gesture widely at everything in the last two years. Uh, that was a storm, right? Um, <clears throat> do you think the storm is calming down or is it a perpetual storm? Are we in this forever? I don't think we're in it forever. 
I really mm-hmm. don't. Um, but I also don't know that it's calming down necessarily. I think that in some respects, even though I said at the start, connection was a bit of, could be a bit of an issue in when we were living through the pandemic. In some respects, there were other connections we made because we could have conversations with absolutely anyone and mm-hmm. everyone was juggling, I don't know, working from home or kids bursting in on Zoom calls, yep. or television interviews or whatever. So we had a different kind of connection that or, or shared experience. And in some ways, that was a different connection, which obviously we're losing a bit of that because we're all now working in different ways again, potentially. So, and also from a resilience perspective, I feel like, yes, we had challenges and for sure there were ups and downs. I think for most people on the planet that work in the way that most of us do, you know, I'm not talking about Mm -hmm. tribes that maybe didn't know a lot of this stuff going on, but people that were certainly aware of what was going on with the pandemic. Um, Of course, we had our challenges, but equally there was this kind of, um, I get global resolve of we'll get through this we've got to keep going get our heads down keep of course there were challenges and of course there were days where we would break down and it was yeah. too much but equally there was this feeling of we have to get through this we will get through this we, we just want to get back to normal once everything's back to normal but what's happened is there is no normal so we've we're starting to come out the other end and we're like yes Amazing. And I remember, you know, I remember getting my first vaccination and being like, yeah. yes, yeah. my life is going to be normal again. I, I was in tears getting yep. it. I shipped my little girl with me who was, I think she was three at the time. She was, she's four now, but I think she was three. Uh-huh. It was such a big moment. I wanted yeah. her to see. I mean, she probably won't remember, but it was such a big moment for me. And I remember thinking, I remember having that and then getting the second one. It was get, get two vaccinations and life. That's it. Back. We're healed. We're good. We're Let's, Christmas. Let's book that um, holiday. And it didn't happen. And, it, you know, we kept going into lockdowns and then we needed more. And, you know, there were more challenges. So even coming out of that, which at the moment in the UK, touch wood, we are. Who knows what the future holds? Right. But the point is we haven't gone back to this stable, clear-cut, known working environment that we were kind of holding out for. So I feel like now we've got a whole host of other problems where we're not quite sure what we're doing work-wise, how we're working, ways of working, um, and actually, I'm publishing an article on this later on today about, you know, some organisations want us back in the office, some don't, some are hybrid, some are, you know, so we're all trying to figure all of that stuff out. But equally, I feel like there could be a lot of things that perhaps we got through at the time that we haven't necessarily dealt with because we got our heads down and we got through it. So we've got a little bit of a hangover in some respects from this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to work through that. I think... I. I I think we needed that hope to get through mm-hmm. and that was a hugely useful tool and that very much plays into resilience research mm-hmm. but now we need to find something we can still have hope for sure but now we might have to start using other tools to help to get through it so I don't think I think that's a you know I think that's a big challenge as well you know we're not done yeah yeah when once once someone I spoke to once around resilience said resilience isn't just bouncing back it's bouncing back to better Mm-hmm. And how do you go back to better when you don't know what the normal is? You know, it's that it's that gray area that has really tripped me up. I think personally, I used to think everything is black and white. And I think if it's anything, the last two years have shown us that it's it's not. It's gray. And it's actually when you know how to embrace it, the gray area is so much better than that black and white area. So then with that, do you think then this, you know, because obviously we're, we're talking today, it's you know we have these awareness weeks. But HR, you know, the the companies that are 
going to be successful are the ones that keep their mental well-being sort of as a priority within their HR and the whole leadership remit. Is that going to stay with the sort of aggressiveness as it as, as much attention now? Or is that something that's going to trickle down maybe in the next two years to kind of, you know, almost being not really talked about unless asked? I think time will tell. I don't yeah. know. Um, my hope is that obviously it stays a priority because, you know, we talk about this all the time. If someone had some kind of physical health issue going on at the time, mm-hmm. there'd be no problem. You know, if someone breaks their foot, can't come into the office for however long, or someone needs yep. to take some time off to recover. We'd be like, yeah, sure, of course. Like, you don't even think about it. So my hope is that we will start to get there with mental health as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. You know, the I like to think that we can't go back, that this is such an important issue now that we can't go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. We yeah. have to see. Yeah. Um, so I want to wrap up this this really great, and I could talk to you about. Uh, I'd like to have you on another episode in the future to talk about more about resilience because that's a topic I'm absolutely uh, passionate and very intrigued about. So, if there's any men listening right now that need some help or HR people that want to assist, what can they do? What's the first step in? Let's say, let's go. What's the first step? And I seeking help. So from an HR perspective, start the conversation, whether that is a conversation with your team about what could we be doing around this, whether that's a conversation with your leadership teams or executive teams, start talking about how much of an important issue this is. That could be a hard conversation, but just start the conversation. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers today. Mm-hmm. None of us do, but just start the conversation. That's my biggest tip. Um, And also start the conversations within an organization. So having people share stories. If you're someone, so if you're a man that is thinking, actually, I need to do something about this at the moment. Again, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same tip. Start the conversation, whether that is going to a GP, whether that Mm -hmm. is talking to someone that's close to you and saying, do you know what? Actually, it's a bit much or it's a bit heavy. And I'm not sure I can do this on my own. That is totally acceptable. And I think the majority of us will feel like that at one point or another. So talk to someone. Don't feel like you have to do this on your own. And don't feel like, even if you don't know anyone else that's ever had this conversation with you or Mm -hmm. a conversation like it, it doesn't matter if you're the first. And actually, that's okay too. We've We've got to start getting more comfortable around this. And it's something that I am very very passionate you know I've got men in my life a husband Mm -hmm. and family members and what have you um and I just it 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 actually makes me it makes me really sad to think that there's more pressure on those people to keep it inside yeah share it but there 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 will be someone that can help there could be policies at work there could be you know there's great mind charity for example is brilliant various other charities as well um but if nothing else talk to your gp i know that there's huge um i know that there's kind of a huge impact on gps at the moment around mental health but there are processes even if it's a self-referral there are processes in place that can help you to start to get this ball rolling yeah great thank you so much for that and yes um 
on if you're listening to this through the through our article site we will be posting some links to resources including mind and i just want to give a shout out uh not i don't think that they're listening but anyone from the samaritans organization who really really helped me um kind of confront everything that i've confronted in the last year and yes i'd say that my storm is still it's through a lull, but I'm prepared for it to get choppy again. So, uh, Gemma, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Next week on the HR Grapevine podcast will be another edition of the Workplace of Now presented along with Zealous. So I will talk to you then. Thank you.